Brown Red Nace. What was your favorite 2019 horror? Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we're the Film Flamers. And it's time for us to bring you, as promised, our year-end review for 2019. That's right. We're going to cover both some of the worst disappointments as well as some of the best surprises. And maybe sort of break it down into some of our favorite maybe acting performances, special effects, musical scores, things like that. Mise en scène. (laughs) (laughs) It's like your favorite French phrase. Is that it at this point? Oui. Uh Uh (laughs) Um, And just like last time we did this for 2018 we sort of like wait until the end of january i think at the end of december you're flooded with all these like top tens and here's my favorites and so on and so forth and we like to think that our choices are a little special and um i think that finally at the end of january you're you're ready for them (laughs) that's right so to kick this off with a high note what was one of your biggest disappointments of the year? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, you know, so I was going through all the movies that I watched, horror movies or horror adjacent movies that I watched in 2019. And I have 41 listed on Letterboxd. So um, of those, very few were below three stars. Um, but a, a couple of my my disappointments for last year were um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and The Dead Don't Die, which were two movies that I were looking forward to quite a bit. <laughs> and I never got around to seeing The Dead Don't Die, uh, but I do agree one of my bigger disappointments was uh, – Well, I wouldn't say bigger disappointment, but a disappointment with scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, Child's Play was also a disappointment of mine. And of course, Terminator Dark Fate, which I've talked about. Although my biggest disappointment of the year, I would say, was Us. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I liked us. I, I think I gave it a like a, a three, a three and a half stars out of five. And yeah, um, I had to give it a two and a half. Yeah, I, I wasn't as like supremely disappointed with it as I think you were, but I was still disappointed. I wanted more than what I got for sure. My lowest rated movie of last year was a, a two star, and it was the Netflix original um, in the Tall Grass, which is a Stephen oh, King adaptation. Yeah. yeah. And it was bad. Well, for me, us, I just had such high expectations after Get Out that it just felt like, and this is how I described it at the time, that Get Out was such like a lightning strike, you know, and and us just felt like they were trying to, you know, get that twice and it was kind of forced. Uh, I think I need to revisit it because I know I'm probably the one of the only people in the world that rated us that low. Um, And I acknowledge that. So I need to maybe like revisit it when, you know, my expectations going in aren't so high because I do still acknowledge that one of the best pieces of acting for the entire year was done by Lupita Nyong'o in that film. But again, my 2.5, and I didn't rate any horror movie that I saw this year less than a 2.5. My 2.5 is right in the middle of, you know, one and a five star. It's just meh to me. Right. So it's not bad. It didn't like make me angry. Uh, it was just disappointing because I was expecting like a, a solid four to four point five movie, and I, you know, I didn't get that personally. And I agree. I mean, I I, I rated it a little higher because I, I mean I, I enjoyed myself watching that movie. I 
I thought that the, the the performance was great by Lupita and um, even Elizabeth Moss. I thought was really good in that oh, movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and so I sort of like scaled it up a little bit more. I was disappointed with it, though. I have to agree with you. I was expecting, you know, this like high caliber film, <clears throat> and a lot of people out there think that it's fantastic. And I mean, to me, it was just middle of the road. I just, I, I think I rated it just, you know, slightly higher than you based on some of those other things in the tall grass though, to me was not a good movie. Like it's just, it wasn't fun to watch. And I rarely ever say that that was mm-hmm. convoluted, you know, and if it's based on a short story, like it shouldn't be too hard to translate to the screen. And I, for some reason, it just wasn't. It wasn't as fun to watch as it was to read. I don't know. It's yeah, not not my not my favorite. But you know, this is going to be a really small conversation because we got like, <laughs> I have to say, I have uh, like five, four, or more star rated films versus only two less than three. You know, there was a really good year for horror. I just want to start off by saying that yes true i mean and and, you know just like we did last year we like to get our like you know least favorite things out of the way because i mean i like to spend a lot more time talking about movies that i like as opposed to ones that i didn't and um i have a lot of high rated movies in fact i had three five star rated movies this year in the horror category i didn't have any five star i didn't i didn't find a perfect movie but i i'm just anal like that i only have like three five stars you know that i've ever given any film period i think you know so yeah i'm just a little bit more anal uh anal retentive about how i rate how i rate things i think so that's my problem (laughs) but uh for those of you that want to see our ratings we are now on letterboxd and we have a combined score between myself and robert so you can see the official film flamers scores for each of these films on our letterboxd account that's right we have our own aggregate (laughs) yep so i mean after having covering these disappointments let's go straight into the movies that we thought were the best or maybe some surprises of 2019 well uh you know i have a lot of films that i just consider good horror you know which includes climax and harpoon and i am mother from netflix and annabelle comes home and ma and brightburn and velvet buzzsaw and it chapter two and the lighthouse and (laughs) knives out we just had a huge amount of just good Horror movies, right? For I mean, really, I mean, because you just like took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, there were so many good movies this year, and we had just talked about in our last shooting the flames episode an article put out by Rotten Tomatoes that said that 2019 is the freshest year for horror since like 1980, right? Yeah, and there were just tons and tons and tons of what I would consider to be really great horror movies, and I'm. It's so hard to like create a list of favorites, you know, or sort of like rank them based on like the rankings that I gave them. But um, yeah, something from that list you just said that I have to say is maybe one of my biggest surprises of 2019 was Annabelle Comes Home. Oh, yeah. I really. And that list I just gave you, those are just my 3.5s. Like those are just (laughs) what I consider good films. Like (laughs) I was really surprised by Annabelle Comes Home. I I mean, I was expecting to to not like it because I really didn't care for the other two movies. And it just turned out to be just a really fun, well-made well-paced, well-acted horror movie. I thought it was just fantastic. I still like Annabelle Creation just for how creepy it is, but every single Annabelle movie that we've gotten has been different, 
right? They've been different and distinct from one another. And each one brings something new to the table, which I really like. And it keeps it keeps it new. It's not trying to do the same thing over and over in different ways, right? So that's something to be said for that franchise. And a lot of people don't like uh, that franchise, The Conjuring Universe. Uh, I do because they they always seem to, to do something slightly different and they always seem, uh, you know, to try their best at least, you know, and none of them are horrible, horrible movies. Um, I would say my least favorite probably would be The Nun. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one. I have to catch up. I also haven't seen uh, Curse of uh, La Llorona, which came out oh, this year. Yeah, so, I mean... Whoops. Yeah, catching up has to be done for both of us, you know. But like we said, like 2019 was a really good year for horror. I think we really enjoyed all the movies that we had watched. And <clears throat> the movies that he had listed, you know, are sort of like a, just a really small part of the, the really good films that came out this year. Some of my middle-of-the-road movies... Um, were um like the pet cemetery remake and the child's play remake i thought yeah, they were just really really good you know um better than i thought they were going to be for sure i was expecting to not like them very much at all and um and then another big surprise for me was a movie called sweetheart have you have you seen that one yet no, you, I've never heard you mention it. it. It's on Netflix. It came out in the summertime and it had a really weird promotion behind it. Like, I couldn't tell if it was going to be a horror movie or not. Right. It's sort of about a woman who's like stranded on a desert island. And I thought that was really just it. I thought it was like horror adjacent at best. And then I just it was on Netflix and I thought, oh, I'll just give it a watch. And it, it's actually like a creature feature. They didn't even like market it as such, you know? Yeah. And so like it was sort of a surprising moment for me this year. But I mean, I think that we could probably go on and on about the movies that we liked quite a bit. But maybe we should sort of break this down into smaller parts of these films and tackle why we liked certain movies so much in 2019 sure uh i do want to say something about like music and sound as a category uh clearly to me this was a huge year for bear mccreary um he did godzilla king of monsters which is also uh one of my middle of the road you know three star movies that i saw uh that's kind of horror adjacency right and then he also did the the music for child's play and both of those scores are excellent um, you know, so I'm really hoping to see Bear McCreary more in, you know, um, horror scoring. And this is one of those categories that I sort of just like, you know, give the reins to you to talk about, because I know that you appreciate the craft a whole lot more than I do. Or you, you tend to notice when a score is really good or really bad. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's sort of lost on me sometimes. But I will say that the Godzilla score was good. Like when you... You shared some tracks with me. I went and listened to all of it, and I liked it quite a bit. Like, actually, it was one of the better parts of that movie to me. So. Oh, but better parts of both of those movies. The new uh, theme for Chucky is excellent and fun. Uh, and I think we actually ended one of our Shooting the Flames with it. And we might have actually ended one of our Shooting the Flames with the other score, too. Well, we did. Uh, for Godzilla. And when, if you recall, we, we did a hot take episode for Godzilla back yeah. you know in the summertime when it came out you know so i mean we, we were looking forward to that movie quite a bit and um i mean i know i know we both like the score i actually ended up liking that song a lot too that sort of remake of that Godzilla <laughs> yeah. song like i listened to it on repeat a lot over the summertime so it grew on me some other movies where the music really kind of um reached out to me of course was i can't i can't not mention climax 
Right. And, and that's not really a composer so much as it is, is a collection of, you know, either uh, stuff from like the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, or remixes of dance tracks from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And actually 2000s, some of it was a little anachronistic. And I mean, and so this is where like music and film sort of like piques my interest a little bit more. You know, I like I like pop songs and um, I really enjoyed the soundtrack to Climax, especially that opening dance number. I think that you and I watched that quite a bit on YouTube, like over and over again mm-hmm. sometimes. Um on Spotify, that's my number one listen to song this year. I listened to it what so is many it called Super something. Uh Su- Supernature by Sarone. Supernature. Yeah. Yeah. That was my number one played song for all of 2019 on Spotify. <laughs> I think I sent out some people at least like five Snapchats of me like dancing to that track, like <laughs> while I'm driving or something. <laughs> Uh, but that wasn't like the only pop song from horror this year. I really enjoyed uh, Lana Del Rey's cover of Season of the Witch from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I mean, that was my biggest takeaway from that movie. The best know? thing about that movie. Yeah, I yeah. actually let the, the the credits play when I watched it at home later. But my my biggest call outs, I think, for music would be Dr. Sleep by the Newton Brothers, who had a hard job of kind of trying to take that original theme from The Shining and kind of weave it in and do their own, very much their own score for this very different story, as well as the music uh, by an actual like a DJ of a band or whatever, um, or the lead of a band. I forget what it's called, like Haxon or something. And it's uh, it's by Bobby Krillick and it's for the movie Midsummer, And he did an excellent job making this really kind of folky, dark, creepy, you know, and sometimes beautiful score uh, that's very atmospheric. And so if you guys have a chance to to listen to these in isolation, if you have any interest in film scores, Dr. Sleep, Midsummer, uh, Chucky, hell, even, you know, Godzilla, uh, and of course, Climax are, are, are good places to start for the year. And I would also throw Knife Plus Heart into that mix, which is, uh, is done by M83. And, um, I mean, it, it was, it was good. I, I really enjoyed the, like, giallo aspects of that particular score. And it's completely listenable, um, you know, outside of the movie. I, I think it's separate from it, from, from the movie itself. Yes, it's a good score. Although I, I, I think his best film scoring work is his other film that he's done, which is Oblivion, uh, which was fairly epic. But they, the studio really kind of reined him in a little bit too much because some of his best scoring for films is actually not anything he's done for a film, but on his albums. So if you have any interest in M83, uh, check that out. I think it's uh, from his double album, Hurry Up or Dreaming. There's some really awesome stuff. It's a really good album. So the next thing that we're going to talk about, uh, we like to call, well, the French like to call, mise en scène. (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of our dump category for cinematography, production design, kind of look, kind of like the look and feel of a movie. And again, I have to call out uh, films like uh, Dr. Sleep. And uh, for some pieces in it, I would say, as far as the the overall film, definitely Midsummer. Uh, we've got Parasite, which is just classic photography mm-hmm. of interiors most of the time, which are beautiful cityscapes that are beautiful, even though they they might be dirty or you know ghettoish or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Parasite was brilliantly shot. Um, the Lighthouse, black and white photography. Um, the aspect ratio was was you know, specially done for this. And uh, it's beautiful black and white photography. Although um, I didn't get taken aback by it as much as I did say Midsummer or even Parasite. Um, 
you know, and those are those are my call outs for the year as far as cinematography and horror. It was a good year just because those are such standouts, not just for horror, but for film in general. Well, and I think it's important to mention, too, that, uh, you know, The Lighthouse was nominated for an Academy Award for its cinematography. So obviously, you know, the Academy voting public or, you know, they they agree. And I, I, I happen to agree with them. I thought it was a fantastically shot movie. It was very, very pretty to look at. And um, it, I was about, it was about halfway through the movie before I even discovered that the aspect ratio was different than what I was used to. It's almost like watching something on a television at the theater, you know? And I mean, it's yeah. just something that I'm not used to seeing. Um, as far as production design goes, I, I mean, I would agree that um, Parasite is, is great. It's, it's wonderful to look at. I really enjoyed the shots they did in that movie where people are sitting in that living room and they had those huge windows overlooking that massive backyard. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just like lush and beautiful as, you know, compared to the, the harshness of the city that, you know, some of those characters are coming from. As far as like set pieces go though, I really think that ready or not created a wonderful environment for a horror movie. You know, it sort of brings me back to my love of clue. So we have this huge house with like room after room and everything is like put together in just such a way to, to really create a mood and atmosphere for that movie. I think that whoever dressed that set needs tons and tons of props. Now I thought I remembered reading that, that they had to rent that house essentially to film there and that they really couldn't touch much. Oh, really? <laughs> but I, that's why I didn't include it. <laughs> so Maybe I should have done my fucking research before I said whoever that. Owner, whoever owns that house, maybe that was Knives Out. I don't know. It could be both. <laughs> what about visual and special effects? Did anything kind of call out to you? Midsummer for sure. I really, like, I was just taken aback by all the effects in Midsummer, And mostly it was just, you know, it sort of made me feel like I was on a drug trip with these people, you know? Yeah. All the mm-hmm. things that they did in that movie, like from Flowers breathing and, you know, just uh, her herself sinking into the earth and things like that. It was just, it was special effects that really pushed the story along. And that's what I like to see. I don't need, you know, just some fantastic like creature which is always good you know but i mean yeah, i like, like godzilla it when did an amazing job with visual effects oh yeah but midsummer is so subtle in comparison at least um with some really interesting touches that have a lot of more visual storytelling to them mm-hmm. but i also have to call out dr sleep just for at least for one scene alone where uh rose the hat is essentially like going to the astral plane and traveling to you know go you know, harass the the little girl or whatever, or trap her. And um, it's an amazing scene. It's uh, for visual effects, cinematography, and really just, you know, framing how it was directed. It was just so well choreographed and everything kind of came together for that scene. It was just beautiful. So, um, you know, I, I just had to call that out. But yeah, the visual effects this year, pretty standard across the board except for those call outs i would say there was no huge achievements and i have to agree with you on dr sleep and i think that during our hot take on that episode we sort of you know gushed over some of the effects in that movie so if you want to hear our thoughts in like detail on that go back and check out that episode um i also want to call out i am mother for special effects Yeah. Yeah, yeah i really like the the creation of that robot was just 
fantastic. And, you know, some of the, the set pieces that I know they created with special effects were just like outstanding and astonishing to look at. And I also really like the special effects in Crawl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like those alligators were menacing looking and some of the kills in that movie were just great. And all of it was done with, you know, CGI effects. Like they, there's a scene where the alligator is sort of like two alligators are like fighting over a cop and they, they break his body apart and the effects are so like minute that you can see parts of his skeleton, like coming apart with his body. And it was just (laughs) amazing. Yeah. Well, a lot of the effects in that film are more subtle. Like they had to do a shit ton of water effects. Yeah. And those are hard to do, um, you know, to make it look photographically real. Obviously, we're in 2020 now, so that's a lot better than it was 10 years ago. But yeah, it's a really effects laden film, but you wouldn't really think so at first glance versus like the more obvious effects like Godzilla or even Brightburn, which used a lot of uh, key effects for such a low budget movie in comparison. And I think, you know, as years go by, we start to get get better and better effects and you know and i also know that there's you know a sort of push in the industry to go back to something a little bit more practical and i think that filmmakers are starting to do that a little bit more often than they have in the mass maybe like 20 years i think that people are like not relying so much on computers and trying to do things that we've seen like maybe back in the 70s and 80s and i'm super looking forward to seeing what they do or how they combine something practically and you know involving you know cgi yeah. So what would you say for acting? Um, you know, actually, I have a lot to say about the acting in <laughs> horror in 2019. I was just astounded at how good these people were in these movies. And I think, you know, back to what we said earlier, when we talked about that ep- that article about, you know, 2019 being so fresh. I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, the acting in these movies. I think a lot of it was very accessible and um, it made it easier to watch the movie. You know what I mean? Like I, last year we were so impressed with um, Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary. And that was sort of like the tip of the iceberg. I think that this year there were so many horror performances that could have been nominated for an Academy Award or other awards that got, lost yeah there's two that come to mind for me and one is lupita nyong'o from us she did a huge amount of heavy lifting there with two different characters yeah and florence Pugh, who carried the whole movie of midsummer without her performance that movie just would not have worked and i completely agree i think that she was like the heart of that movie and her performance was amazing yeah and she did get nominated for an oscar this year for her supporting turn in little women I kind of like to think that she's been given like a body of, you know, a body of work award for this year. So, so Little Women, she's best supporting actress. She was amazing in Midsummer. And she also was highly praised for her work in a movie called like Fighting with the Family. It's sort of like a wrestling comedy. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the Academy is sort of blanketing her work this year with an award nomination. And, or at least I like to think that, you yeah. know, so, um, other than that, I I really thought that uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste from In Fabric was really good. She was like one of the standouts in a movie that I thought was just sort of ho-hum, but her mm-hmm. acting was great. But ultimately, as far as like an actress goes, I think that Samara Weaving was just like tops for me. She was so good in Ready or Not. She made me laugh. She made me scared. And she really just 
carried that entire movie for me. Well, actors say that comedy is some of the hardest you can do as far as timing and everything. And Samara Weaving has that. She proved it in The Babysitter. Um, and in Ready or Not, she definitely proved herself. So I'm I'm all for that. And we're looking forward to another film with her that we'll talk about later on. Oh, yeah. I'm super looking forward to that. <laughs> but I also have to call out Rebecca Ferguson for yes. her Rose the Hat and Dr. Sleep. Um, you know, I also want to call out Rose Byrne for mm-hmm. doing her voice acting role as the robot in I Am Mother, as well as I loved seeing Hilary Swank in that. And she, Hilary Swank did an amazing job. Yeah, the acting in that movie was phenomenal. Yeah. Especially Rose Byrne. I really enjoy an acting performance if it's just voice. I think back when we did our hot take on I Am Mother, um, I mentioned how much I enjoyed Scarlett Johansson's performance in the movie Her, which is also just a voice work, right? Sure. And those things just don't get they don't get recognized that often. And it's it's kind of hard to do. And Rose Byrne did a very good job in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else that I wanted to talk about is two performances from It Chapter 2, which is sort of a middle-of-the-road movie for me from last year. But I really think that Bill Hader and uh, Jane's Ransom did a very good job in that movie. And they were both like sort of supporting characters. And they stole the show for me. I think that like the arcs that they went through were just better than some of the leading work in that movie. Sure. Yeah. Um, it chapter two and really the first one too is just uh, really well put together, really well produced, well acted across the board. You know, everything kind of came together. We came in with super high expectations for chapter two, and probably that's the only reason I rated it as lowly as I did, which was a three point five, which is not low at all, right? Uh, to me, that that makes it a good movie, right? Well, and then just uh, two more performances that I wanted to talk about for 2019, and that is Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe from The Lighthouse. Oh, God. Yeah, I have them written down. I can't believe I, I forgot to or didn't see it. Yeah, Willem Dafoe, uh, right up there with anyone else that we've mentioned, if not passing it. It's one of the best, some of the best monologues and dialogues really I've ever seen in any film ever. And Willem Dafoe is just amazing. If, if, if nothing else, watch The Lighthouse just for that performance, because it is, it's definitely going down in the history books. And you are absolutely correct. I think that it is one of the most phenomenal performances I have ever seen in movies. He's so, so good in it. And I think that the fact that he has not been nominated for more awards this season is a fucking travesty. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't understand how he did not make the list, you know? And to be fair, I have not seen, at, as of this point, like every movie that has been nominated for acting awards. But, I mean... To me, it was so good. I think that it's literally one of the best performances this year, if not ever, in a horror movie or any movie in general. He wasn't nominated for an Oscar for Supporting Actor for this? No, he wasn't. That's insane. Nor a Golden Globe. I think maybe he got... Yeah, I know. Nothing. Got nominated for nothing. (laughs) That's bullshit. (laughs) This is like Tony Collette part duh this year. I'm like, no, I will not stand for this. Oh, Jesus. I know. Oscar's so not Defoe. Oscar's so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about our best overall. What would you say is like in your top, you know, just couple films that your favorites of the year? Um, So 
I really, really enjoyed Climax quite a bit. I thought Climax okay. was great. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it as much the first time that I watched it. I had to go back and watch it. I've watched it two more times since we did our hot take on that episode. And it really has grown on me. And I thought about it quite a bit after we left the theater. And when a movie sort of sticks with you like that, you know, it, it rises up in my list and my estimation. I actually went back and changed my rating of that movie. And the more I think about it, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the movie Piercing a lot. I really enjoyed like sort of the, the giallo aspects of that. And I was looking forward to that director's work on the grudge, you know? And so, you know, that was our, our newest hot take for 2020. And I, you know, I can't say that I was super excited about his work post piercing, but I thought piercing was great. Um, I've so you went, about, into, you went into the grudge with higher expectations than me then. Yeah, I did. I, I liked his work. I mean, he did eyes of my mother a couple of years ago and then piercing this year. And I thought for sure he was going to take this movie in certain places because he's done such great work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about knife plus heart a lot this year on the podcast. And, you know, I sort of stand by that. Um, I think it's a really great piece of queer horror and really um, like Chris said, on another episode, we were talking about it. It's sort of a movie that was kind of made for me. And I, you know, I, I accept that. Um, but ultimately, two movies this year I thought were really, really great. Um, I rated them both five stars and they were Dr. Sleep and Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Where were some of your favorites? Uh, I would say if I was just going to say a top three for me would be Parasite, which is extreme horror adjacency. Um, but it is so layered with the visual storytelling and metaphor and meaning and comedy and horror and real life horror, you know, and drama that, and there's so much tension even before it kind of transitions into horror that it's just one of the most important movies of the year. Uh, I think it even made like Barack Obama's list as well as it's nominated for not only best foreign uh, language film at the Oscars, but best film in general. And um, that's why it's in my top three. It's just because it's so layered. And it was such just a well put together uh, piece of film and uh, a great story and a, with a lot of meaning kind of layered in. But I also like that director's other work. I loved Snowpiercer. Uh, I need to go see some of his other films. But I think you would like the host a lot. As far as like straight horror or at least straighter horror than Parasite, I would say uh, Midsummer was my number two. Uh, of the year. And I really waffled with that in my number one, just because I feel like Midsummer is more important of a film than my number one. But I mean, just from the acting, the visual effects, cinematography, the music, everything kind of worked for it. And it, and it has a lot of things to think about, important things to think about in Midsummer. And I think it's going to be, you know, a sleeper classic of the genre for decades to come. But my number one of the of the year, just for not only quality across the board for all the categories we've already mentioned, but also my level of enjoyment and surprise going into a film and having such high expectations and leaving with those expectations blown out of the water for me was Dr. Sleep. And that was such a welcome surprise. I'm like getting goosebumps. That was such a welcome surprise walking into that theater with such high expectations and walking out with those just exceeded and I was like emotional about it like <laughs> it's uh it was just such a great experience uh and I was like this is why you know I I do this this is why I'm so obsessed with this genre and this is why I, I have a podcast you know and uh, I just can't say enough about Dr. Sleep and that's ultimately why it's it's uh pulled into my number one spot ahead of Midsummer, just because of the level of enjoyment I had and at the end of the day that's what I most care about I think and I 
completely agree with you. You know, hundred percent. I think that Dr. Sleep was a, a fantastic movie. I, I know you and I watched it opening weekend. We both like could not wait to talk about that movie. And I think that ultimately, you know, goes to show you what a good movie it is. And I think that horror fans across the board liked it. I'm still very disappointed that it did not get the kind of like box office money that it should have. But I could, I mean, I can kind of see why it's been a long time since the shining came out. And I mean, I don't think that a lot of people are sort of invested in that story, but I think that the horror community really embraced this movie a lot. There's a lot of love for it. And I know that the director's cut is coming out on Blu-ray very soon. And I know that everybody is like ready to watch that because Mike Flanagan created a masterpiece of horror cinema. And I mean, yes, I've got that ship pre-ordered man i'm so excited uh one explanation that i've seen in the in the articles is that you know like the engine of box office for horror is really the younger demographic right going in for a date night or you know kind of expecting a straight horror movie wanting to take their girlfriends or boyfriends or whoever you know or a group of friends to enjoy like a you know a thoughtless horror movie or even just you know the younger crowd just trying to go see you know a friday night movie but dr sleep was kind of marketed to more of the adult audience yep and i feel like that might have been a mistake um you know the shining was seen as kind of you know a last generation classic you know i'm wondering if some sort of you know new sequel to you know the exorcist or something like that might might have the same effect and so it had such a huge budget based on what it had to do you know for not marketing to the younger crowd that it just no they didn't see it they didn't have they weren't marketed to they didn't feel like they were invited to go see the film to have interest in it and so it was just basically you know nerds like you and i that went to go see it and you know <laughs> there it is i will say there, there is hope for dr sleep still though i think i mean if, if the horror community or horror lovers out there do is they will embrace a movie and through word of mouth and sometimes it takes years for people to sort of realize you know what a groundbreaking movie or you know how good a movie really is and i think over time people will embrace dr sleep and it will be talked about studied you know forever i think that this is mike flanagan's masterpiece really at this point i mean from a person who makes masterpieces every time he gets behind the camera sometimes, you know? So I really went back and forth between Dr. Sleep and Ready or Not for my number one spot. Ultimately, I had to pick Ready or Not. Not that it's like a a better made movie. I just think that it's sort of, you know, the kind of movie that I like more. I I had a lot more fun watching this movie. And I I really enjoy like laughing and crying and being scared, like all in one sitting. And it gave that to me. I thought that the the performance by Samara Weaving, even Andy McDowell and that crazy lady who played the aunt, you know, I mean, just like (laughs) this is a movie that I'm going to quote from from here to the rest of my life this is a movie that i'm going to recommend to people when they ask like what what horror movie should i watch especially for people who don't really like horror movies you know i think this is a really accessible fun movie and i will revisit it probably more often than i'll revisit dr sleep definitely more accessible uh, just even by the runtime um for your average moviegoer for you know it's a fun movie and it's that's you know, for all the reasons that you just said, it's in my top five for the year. And with that being said, 
Different from last year, Chris and I have created our own top 10 horror movies of 2019, and uh, we are going to sort of like create a graphic or a post to put on social media. So head over to at the Film Flamers on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and you can see what our top 10 choices for 2019 are, respectively. We'll also be able to add those lists to Letterboxd, so check that out. Exactly. So just like we did last year, we are going to take a little time and talk about the movies that we're most looking forward to seeing in 2020, specifically horror movies. So Chris, uh, what are some that you are looking forward to? Well, not specifically horror movies. (laughs) I'm looking forward to The Haunting of Bly Manor by Mike Flanagan, which is just like a collection of horror movies, essentially, based on what he did with The Haunting of Hill House. You know, that was that out of almost any horror this year, that was just the biggest surprise and was so, so welcome. I I just embraced that wholeheartedly. I just loved every second of it. It was so, so well done. And then we got Dr. Sleep from him. 2019 was a year of Mike Flanagan for me. Um, he just blew my mind in so many different ways. And I love his long form storytelling. And uh, I can't wait for that. And like we said, the director's cut with uh, Dr. Sleep a little bit more, but I'm really looking forward to the haunting of Bly Manor, you know, so that's like the number one thing on TV, at least that I'm, uh, that I'm, I'm looking forward to. But I'd say starting in February, I'm really looking forward to The Invisible Man by Lee Wanell with Elizabeth Moss. And the trailer for this just really showcased her her acting in it. And I, Lee Wanell has proven to be his own um, unique, talented director, uh, especially after seeing Upgrade, which was amazing. And of course, he's usually uh, teamed up with... Um, James Wan, of course, they teamed up together as student filmmakers to do Saw. And of course, they've always worked together on all these things. Usually Lee wan a writer or even an actor or even a producer level. But he really kind of branched out as a director on his own. And uh, so far, he has been you know, hitting it out of the park. So I'm really looking forward to The Invisible Man uh, coming in February. And in, in uh, April, I'm looking forward to Antlers especially because the short story is out there that this is supposedly at least partially based on and it is creepy as fuck and it is going to be amazing if they if they do it right so i'm really looking forward to that and in april i'm looking forward to antebellum which i thought was a uh, jordan peele's next movie for some reason but apparently they they're just using that kind of as a marketing tool to be like the producers of get out the producers of us right so it looks like a really interesting kind of take on another kind of story about, um, you know, racism and stuff through the lens of horror. And uh, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be quality. So I'm really looking forward to that, as well as the sequel to Candyman, a direct sequel, co-written by Jordan Peele in June. So I have high hopes for that as well. And uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, I'm curious we'll see we'll see what happens as well as uh robert zemeckis's take on the witches in october which i'm i'm curious about i can't wait for a trailer for that the witches was one of my favorite films as a kid with angelica houston as the head witch loved it and then of course in october halloween kills Definitely looking to see where the series is going after this last one that we enjoyed so much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot of those, too. I mean, I know that The Invisible Man is really high on my list of things to see. I, I second everything you say about Lee 1L. I really enjoyed Upgrade last year, and I, I'm looking forward to this. It looks fantastic. Um, speaking of James Wan, his new movie, Malignant, comes out in August. 
and it's supposed to have a real giallo feel mm. to it. And I, I'm super interested to see what he's he's doing with that. This is coming right off of his uh, directorial Aquaman, yeah. right? So this is mm-hmm. his next movie. And then he also just wrapped his uh, uh, Mortal Kombat movie, <laughs> which I don't think is coming out in 2020, but he's got a lot coming out. But um, uh, in April, I'm looking forward to seeing The New Mutants. I know that movie's been pushed back so many times that at this point I have just got to see it, you know? Yeah, me too. It's become a part of like horror lore, you know? And yeah, I just, I, I have to see it. Antlers is going to be great. I already know. Um, I'm super invested in the Purge series. Like I've seen <laughs> the them Purge all. Five. I like them all. <laughs> yeah, the Purge 5. There's like no other title for it, but it doesn't matter. I will go see it when it comes out. I've already seen the rest of them. Uh, Halloween kills i think is I mean, i'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing with that story since the the reboot from what was it last year that came out right yeah mm-hmm. so but mostly i am looking forward to a netflix movie called i'm thinking of ending things and the movie's wrapped it's done it's ready to be watched it's going to be released on netflix at some point but it's based on a novel that i read a couple years ago which is completely bonkers and batshit and i'm just cannot wait to see what they do in a film version of this movie so listeners if you guys have read this book like reach out and let me know and um chris have you read it no it's a really short read but it's completely insane i need to i think i have it on audible i should like to share it with you so you can listen to it on the subway or whatever (laughs) okay like it's it's good well, aside from movies coming out in 2020, there's a lot to look forward to from the Film Flamers this year. And we're going to start in February. So next month, look out because we are going to be covering one of Chris's favorite movies. Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know that he is like chomping at the bits to talk about this. And I am going to get such a schooling in filmmaking from him. So, <laughs> No, probably not a schooling. Just uh, a, a lot of uh, fanboy crap about how it was made and honestly i haven't i haven't seen this movie since i was maybe like 19 years old well chris do you have anything else to say about 2019 or shall we just like leave it to the record books let's leave it to the record books but revisit it often because it was a very good year for horror and i think that we shall i know that when chris and i choose movies that we deep dive into a lot of it has to do with you know how we view things over time or how much we love things and i think that 2019 is going to have a bunch of stuff that we're going to go back to and watch and have a lot of things to say about in the future that's right in the future we might just take a minute but just a minute (laughs) to talk about 2019 movies brown haired niece (laughs) what was your favorite 2019 horror movie (laughs) well guys thank you for listening to this year in review and thank you for listening to all of our January episodes as always we want to hear what you think what were some of your favorite movies from 2019 maybe some of your favorite performances or any other category that we talked about in this episode you can find us on social media at the film flamers on twitter facebook instagram and now letterboxd and you can call us on our hotline at 
666-7733. Let us know what you thought of this episode or any other, and we'll play your voicemail on the air and respond to it. That's right. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, go ahead and hit the review button. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a little snippet of a review, and we will read that on our Shooting the Flames episode. And also, head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to get all of our bonus content. We are creating bonus episodes every month for you guys, and we just restructured our tiers. So, you can get all of our bonus episodes and early access to our regular feed episodes for as little as $2. And look at our show notes every month to see who our wonderful patrons are. Include your name by becoming a patron. Well, it's been a long, good year, but I think we can finally have some sweet dreams. That's right. So, for the rest of 2020, I hope that we all have sweet sweet dreams. dreams.